Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side-by-side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code. A lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant. AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. It's a little bit exhausting to feel like your identity is just a group identity as opposed to you being you. So I would hop around a lot from group to group, which was just also exhausting in its own way. Because it felt more like putting on an identity as opposed to being myself. It felt like acting. I think that that was the way that I needed to survive that predominantly white institution space kind of. And that's fine. I think I did what I had to do, which was just act and pretend. Champaign, Illinois. I am uh, attending the Ebert Fest, the 21st annual Ebert Fest, where uh, my film Sebastian has played. I am absolutely exhausted. I have been talking all day um, in front of people um, on stage to uh, many strangers and then many familiar faces. I I, I want to um, give thanks to all the wonderful people I have spoken to um, over the weekend, many of whom I have learned uh, listen to this show, and uh, it's a strange, wonderful thing to have people come up to you and tell you you're doing a good job. Uh, I still don't entirely know what to say other than thank you, and that uh, I promise to continue doing this show so long as it remains good. On that note, we did a live episode of Talk Easy here uh, in Champaign at the Virginia Theater. It was with Rita Coburn, uh, the director of this wonderful Maya Angelou documentary. And then we also have two special guests uh, who've been attending this festival since it began uh, over 20 years ago. So we'll be airing uh, that live episode uh, next Sunday on the podcast. But today, I want to introduce you a really wonderful emerging filmmaker, Her name is Tyresha Poe. She's a new director whose debut film called Sella and the Spades premiered at the Sundance Film Festival this past January. Without diving into too much plot detail, I really, really enjoyed this film out of Sundance. You end up getting to watch a lot of movies at these festivals, and uh, unfortunately, once you watch two or three in a day, they all kind of blend together. But there are moments of this film that stick in my head, uh, three months removed. I think the best way to describe this film is 
quoting an answer Tyresha gave in an interview to womeninhollywood.com. The question was, what do you want people to think about when they are leaving the theater? She said, empathy for the devil. Sympathy, sure, but I'm going for empathy first. This is not your standard uh, coming-of-age movie. It is like an updated uh, spiritual sequel to Election in some ways, and yet uh, is still darker than that film. Anyway, when this film comes out later this year, uh, I would urge anyone listening to this show to make an effort to see it. It's called Sella and the Spades, and uh, this is the wonderful, very talented Tyree Chappelle. Okay, Miss Poe? Yes. I feel like that's a really, that's kind of cool. It's very official. Do you hate that? Uh, yeah. Okay, Tyresha? <laughs> yes. Um, welcome. Thank you. This is your first podcast mm-hmm. ever. Ever, in my whole life. Does it feel daunting? It should be really easy. Uh, it feels kind of chill. Okay, good. That's exactly what it should be. Good. Uh, give me a snapshot into how you're feeling right now, having worked years to make this movie. I know it started as an interactive website, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then there were some snippets put online that yeah. I saw, and I, and I know it's been a long time in the making. Now that you're here, yes. how do you feel? Calm and terrified. That's a good combo. Yeah. <laughs> it's my usual combination. No, it feels like the culmination of a lot of hard work and luck a little bit. So it feels right. Like I feel like we're supposed to be here. But I also feel like it's something that I've been able to just be working on and keep close for so long. And now everyone can have an opinion on it. So that's terrifying. That's the terrifying part. Yeah. But then I look around and I'm surrounded by like my cast and my crew and all these people who I love and who I respect and who I collaborated with. So they always just calm me down. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the best part is having all of them, so many of them be present. Can we go back to um, where this whole film starts for you? Yeah. Sure. What, what was the first inkling you had to make this? I think it was 2013. Five years ago. Jesus. Really? Yeah. Well, actually, wait. That's six years ago. Oh, my God. It's okay, let's stick with five years because it's it was the end of 2013. Okay, it's five years, but it's 2019. <laughs> it's 2019. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm getting so old. Um, no, <laughs> it's more like, what a shitstorm we're in. Now. What a shitstorm. Well, yes. Um, I re- <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that in the last half of the episode. <laughs> Perfect. I'm ready. Um, okay. Yeah. So it started in 2012. That was the first time I wrote the short story. I was working at my former college in the media center. And I was on, like, I just remember it was the end of a work day. And it was the winter, like November, December. And I was, like, in the media center. And I just had this thought, what if there was, like... A teenage version of me but she did whatever the fuck she wanted all the time and just kept doing whatever she wanted um and so i started writing about this girl named Sella, and i was like writing the story in my notes app on my phone um and i was like walking down the hill to the train to go home and i was like furiously typing and i was like making sure i wasn't gonna trip and that was like the very first that was the beginning so this character was an alternate darker reality version of you yeah i used to think of Sella in this She's obviously changed so much, especially now that there's a real human being bringing her to life, Lovey Simone. But back then, I would think about her as like, Sela is sort of like my first impulse reactions to things, and she's my first impulse reaction to stuff. You're like gut response. Yeah, before I'm like, oh wait, I can't, I can't beat this person up. <laughs> I can't right. like be an asshole right now. Yeah, I can't completely discard them. Entirely. Yeah, yeah, I have to work through things and like be cool and chill. What were you like at that age in college? You're working and you're in writing. college. Yeah. What was I like in college? What was I like in 2012? Oh my god. I think it's important to. Uh, at least I'm interested because your movie <laughs> is so clearly like ingrained with you. Mm-hmm, it is. And I'm fascinated to see where that comes from. Is that a weird thing to think about? Well, I'm like not that different than I am. <laughs> like I'm really consistent. I like, like my friend Jesse here is here. Um, actually, Jesse is the one who does the um, the narration in the beginning of the film. She's an actress, Jessica Canazzaro. Pitch her. She's here with me at Sundance this year. And... People have been asking her, like, oh, what was Tyresha like, like, freshman year of college? And then she'll look at me and she'll be like, 
pretty much the exact same person. <laughs> and it's true. I mean... Okay, so who yeah. is that person? Uh, <laughs> I... Consistent. I'm pretty hard-headed. Mm-hmm. Like, I re- I'm very... I'm often very clear about what I want. This is what I've heard about, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, pretty clear about it. And, like, if it's attainable, I don't see why I shouldn't get it. Um, and I'll do whatever I need to do to get there. But I think being that way for myself means that I, I don't know, I just feel kind of chill when, like, calm a lot of the time. And I think it's just because I know what I want. And there's a ton of hiccups and ups and downs, but I'm going towards something. And as long as I'm going towards something... I feel okay. In school, did you know you wanted to make movies? Mm, not really. Not until... Like, I started doing film in high school, in sophomore year of high school, and I didn't really think of it as something I was going to do. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. It was just something that I liked mm. because I love movies, and my family loves movies. Um, I had the exact same. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. What is it? Wait, well, why, my is, mom's why are we a lawyer. Oh, well, that's normal. My parents aren't lawyers. My she parents was, are teachers. No, my dad's a teacher. Oh, my really? Mom's a lawyer. Yeah. Oh. And she was like, so, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Just like a natural progression of events, Here becoming a lawyer. I wrote, yeah. um, there's something my mom gave me over Christmas. Mm-hmm. This is completely not related to that's you. That's fine. <laughs> but um, I think may tie in, actually, is she gave me this thing from sixth grade. And it said it was like it was like a report about me playing basketball. Mm-hmm. It was like in the the local newsletter, whatever. But it was so dumb. And it's like loves basketball, Stevie Wonder, <laughs> and debating his mother. I wrote what that. honesty. I wrote that, which was uh, with you in the same way of like I thought I was gonna be a lawyer. Yeah. That's how messed up it is. Yeah, we have very clear ideas of ourselves at that age. And then we grow up and we're like, what? Who? What was that person thinking? I think that's kind of fun, though. No, it's great. It ties into who we are now. It does. I mean, so did you have to push that away at all? Did you feel like you were resisting that? No. The temptation for like a serious job? Mm -mm. No, my family, both my parents are teachers. One of my brothers is a dancer professionally. One of my brothers is like chemist one of my brothers is i don't know he's getting his phd at brown in something and now he's in brazil Smart for some people. reason yeah like i my family's all over the place well, you don't know why he's in brazil he's like doing dissertation research but <laughs> every time i ask him what his dissertation is on he's like he goes into like a lot of i don't know pedagogical like academic speak i'm like yeah oh fascinating fascinating i feel really bad but he's amazing no, he's a genius he's my little brother no, of course and it's good you've shared it on the show yeah, about that. i love this send him a link <laughs> Yeah, my brothers are kind of all over the place, and our parents always, they just encourage us to do whatever we want, basically, as long as we're willing to work hard and try our best. I think there are a lot of people who will hear this and not feel like they had a similar kind of thing. Yeah, I believe that, um, which makes me sad, um, and which is why I'm always, like, loaning my parents out to people, and why, my, like, my parents adopt, like, adopt their surrogate parents to so many students on uh, their campus, because they understand that, and that's fine. Loaning your parents out. I know. <laughs> what does that look like? When I see that somebody needs a little bit of a push towards, like, following their dreams or following their passion i'm always like you should just talk to my parents about this why don't you just like talk to my mom she's really good at this and i mean it and they do and she's really good at convincing people to follow their dreams wow yeah so it makes sense that you got to this point totally it doesn't feel like a random series no god no oh my god no. no 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 yeah there's a lot of work and careful patient exhausting and sometimes like a lot of times we failed like there were so many times when we were going to go in production production and then we couldn't because we didn't have the money we couldn't go Mm -hmm. um and it was devastating but then i would talk to my mom and she would say well if you can't go now then it's not meant to be and you just sort of have to like take a deep breath let it out yeah and try again yeah you know the not meant to be advice (laughs) my dad gives it all the time and and look i think parents are right when they say that yeah but it's one of the most unsatisfying it's so pieces of advice. Frustrating. It's so frustrating. And I like when I was a kid, it would drive me crazy. It would just like because that's not what you want to hear. That's not helpful at no, that time. It means more waiting. <laughs> yeah, and you don't want to wait. You want it now. Of course. But now, as an adult, I think that having that mentality has made me like 
or I've sort of adopted my mom's mentality and I can sort of, I think that I'm able to use that to help the people around me. Again, just like, it's like a collective, like <sighs> yeah. deep sigh kind of feeling. What were the movies growing up that sort of triggered something inside of you to think, oh, this is, I don't know if I want to make movies, but I know this but is like beyond this. Yeah. Like going to see a Hollywood film. It's like yeah. something that moved you. I mean, a lot of the things that moved me were Hollywood films. Uh, <laughs> I more meant like superhero. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when I was younger, we would watch The Matrix a lot in my family. We were just really into that movie. Yeah, no, I watched that so much. Yeah, we, we love that movie. I haven't seen it in like a decade, maybe? I've seen it recently, and I still really like it. Is it good? Yeah. Okay. I'm afraid to watch that. I like It's okay. like kind of corny at you know points. Like, like the action stuff go is back. corny. Yeah, I know. You want to hold on to the feeling of when you first saw it back then. Of course. Yeah, but I still like it. Okay, The Matrix? Mm-hmm. Clueless is another one. That just like something about... like Hundreds I, of times. Oh my God, I love that movie. Yeah. Just... It's, it really influences the way that I think about life. Um, you know, I have to say, it does for me as well. It's yeah. Like, I know I don't maybe seem like that it would, but no, it I really... I feel that. I feel it. I feel it. really good. <laughs> My mom loved that movie, It's too. so good. It's a weird movie to watch with your mom. Yeah, it is. But it's still good. That's life. <laughs> so those were the films. That and, like, I think Chris Marker's La Jetée was a big one for me, actually. That's a great one. Yeah, I saw that in sophomore year of high school for the first time. Um, and I was early for that. It was a film class. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. I didn't think you were like. I, I wasn't mom, like searching um, it. <laughs> Want to watch Chris Marker? Or? Yeah, that wasn't me. Requi- required viewing. <laughs> required viewing, and thank goodness it was. Were you a good student? When I cared about it, actually, like so at Swarthmore, I went to college at Swarthmore College, and um, the first semester of freshman year for everyone is pass fail, and I took that to mean as long as I don't fail then I'm fine so I basically did the bare minimum that I had to do in order to pass yeah and then like you can see in the next semester your grades that you would have gotten if you were being graded like d's and almost everything except for English (laughs) so I, I can be a good student when I need to and want to be anything that's like reading books I'm gonna be a good student in that I can't help it well the movie um it is so wonderful and how intricate and detailed it is about yeah. these sort of factions yeah. within the school. Uh, I want to know, looking back, <laughs> where would you fit into that sort of universe? Oh. Did you want to, like, actually sell drugs and... Um, Did I want to sell <laughs> drugs? <laughs> I didn't have a desire to sell drugs. I just had a desire. I thought about it once. Yeah, I mean, I feel like most people do well, because cause you're, cause it's like, you're like, oh, this might be easy. Oh, it's in demand. <laughs> it's like a lot of. I just, I had a desire to have power, right? And if selling drugs would give me that power, I probably would have done it, but it wouldn't have at that time. So that's fine. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, I was, I guess I was technically probably a Bobby because I did theater all the time and like I was in set crew and all that stuff. I hung out with all the theater kids. Oh, God, um, why that? I don't know. No, why the... Uh, why, well, I don't... Like, I just don't know why I hung out <laughs> Like, in retrospect, no offense if you guys are listening. Like, at my high school, Petty, it's this boarding school in New Jersey. It's just very, like... I mean, it's insular, like all boarding schools are. And so you just... Group identity is really strong. Mm-hmm. In the same way that it is when you're a teenager, no matter where you are. But because you're there and you live with those people, too, it's just hyper-group activity and hyper-group identity. Like, they called the kids who did a lot of art stuff and theater stuff the Swig Kids because the Swig building was the art building, and that was just where we were all the time. So I did a lot of that stuff and hung out with all those kids. Mm. But it's just, like, it's a little bit exhausting to feel like your identity is just a group identity as opposed to you being you. So I would hop around a lot from group to group, which was just also exhausting in its own way. But it's just, like... Did that cause you problems? Yeah, because it felt more like putting on an identity as opposed to being myself. You thought you were acting? Yeah, it felt like acting. I think that that was the way that I needed to survive that predominantly white institution space kind of... And that's fine. I think I did what I had to do, which was just act and pretend. No, was um, the private school and the college predominantly white? Yes. (laughs) I think the 
the college was more diverse, mm-hmm. but not by much. Also, my, my high school is one of the more diverse boarding schools, sure. Um, for sure. And I'm that's why my parents chose that one. And I really enjoyed it. In fact, I liked my high school a lot more than I did college. But it's still, you're never just like a student. You're always like a percentage. And like you're always like, a not a quota, but like you always feel like, even yeah. if you're not, it's that not you're, stated that way. That you it's can like, be quantifiable. Yeah. And I hate feeling like that. I That's like my least favorite feeling. Mm. Did you sense that when you were there? Yes, totally. Like, we would always make jokes. I mean, in high school and college, I have a really diverse group of friends in college, like, from all around the world. And whenever we were sitting together outside or in the cafeteria, it felt like somebody was always taking our picture for a brochure. And we would always crack jokes about that. And the same in high school. It's like a United Nations kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yes. United Nations. United Nations started it all. Um, the, the more important question is, uh, just as a person in the world yes how do you think going and being part of those predominantly white institutions affected you i'm lucky because i have the family that i have and the parents that i have like my parents are very pan-african and they're very socially conscious and they're just very active in communities and you know academically i don't know what the word is at the very academically they just have a very large sense of the history of black people mm-hmm. <laughs> and so because of that i you know i'm lucky because i i was able to lose in a way my sense of identity and being black and like my sense of pride in that when i entered the institution like petty and even before then because i grew up in america which hates black people so like you know you if you're not careful or if you don't have a sense of being grounded within pride for yourself and your community then it is easy to lose yourself right. um, and to be but consumed by this be consumed by uh, honestly by whiteness but because of the parents that i have who are so loving and so caring and so honest and so communicative i was able to lose that and then find that pride again and in, in an even larger way than i ever had it before so was there ever a frustrating disconnect between you and the classmates around you like in college not in college. I really found my people in college, to be honest. Um, Your friends. Yeah. <laughs> I still love my friends. And, I mean, like I said, Jessie's here. She's one of my best friends. I found really great people in college who who had a sense of what it's like to be othered by someone and have to, like, relearn how to be the main character in your own life, basically. Like, we all had it. Like, we knew what it was like to go to these predominantly white institutions and then we knew what it was like to lose ourselves and we knew what it was like to regain ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we related about over that a lot. Uh, I know there are, you know, I know a lot of folks who have been in a similar situation mm-hmm. to you. And I'm always curious, is there ever a moment where you have the kind of back and forth there would be like in a movie mm-hmm. where, where you are around people that are not, besides your friends, that are looking at you as a number yeah and sometimes that's often not spoken it's just like kind of implicitly felt in a way that's even more dangerous and scary Hmm. did you ever have interactions that were like you expressing your like autonomy and you as as a person in the world right i think i understand your question but i don't know if my answer is going to answer it that's okay (laughs) um any answer is an answer oh well (laughs) This is so weird. This isn't totally an answer, but I just remembered this. And it's my story of the only time I've ever punched someone. Um, I was a... I must have been a junior at Putty. And I was just having a conversation outside of this cluster of dorms with two other people. Um, and they were both white. One a guy, one a girl. And the guy... we And we must have been talking something about, like... Not about black people, but just, like, about, like, one of the multicultural groups on campus or something. Just, like, mentioning an activity or something like that. And then the guy turns to me and he's like, you know, Tyresha, sometimes I just, like, don't really like black people. And then I just punched him in the face and walked away. I didn't know what else to do. I was like... That's the only time I've ever punched somebody. Right. But it felt like literally the only response that made sense to me in the moment. Since then, I've learned, like better ways to use my words to no. tear people apart but like that was a dick thing to say to someone that's not even like just a dick thing it's to just say. like what is wrong with you as a person that you would say that did so, you have to see that person again oh yeah totally and 
I, I don't think I ever spoke to him again. He would like speak to me and I just wouldn't respond. I have no problem doing that because I have the, there's a huge world out there and so many people I'm dying to meet and be a part of their lives that I can't justify to myself wasting a lot of time like verifying and like fighting for my existence to somebody who just doesn't see it for me. Right. So you moved on. Yeah. God, yeah. How did the punch feel? <laughs> it felt really good. It didn't really hurt that much. He had a really skinny face though. So I think I hit like his cheekbone because I remember that hurt. But then I was just like so buzzy afterwards. It was like all the adrenaline. It's adrenaline. <laughs> yeah. You could do anything on that. Yeah. Yeah. That was wild. Oh my God. That's pretty good. <sighs> yeah. But there's like always everywhere constant like i don't i'm not crazy about the word microaggressions because i think microaggressions are actually pretty large because of how often they happen but there's just always like little things that people will do like when people will say that my story is like an urban store like the story of selling space is an urban story and i'm like it literally takes place at a boarding school in like the countryside of pennsylvania what about this is urban besides all the black people in it yeah well, I think you just said that. Yup. <laughs> so I'm still like dealing with how to. Well, I'm getting a lot better at just saying exactly what I said, um, which makes me feel really good because there have been times when some, or there, like two years ago, if somebody had said that, I probably would have said, um, yeah, okay, sure, and just kept it going. But now I, I don't want to just keep it moving forward anymore. I want to say what you just said is wrong for this reason. So let's talk about why you feel the need to say that. And just make people confront their own microaggressions as opposed to taking on the weight of them for myself because I have better things to do. Right, which is a waste of time. Yeah. And not productive. And not productive. Do you feel like you are, uh, it's easier for you to say that now than it was two years ago? Totally. Because I made a movie, to be quite honest. Like, making the film and finishing the film makes me feel like I have more agency to decide how people talk about it. Whereas when I was like raising money for it and still in development, I felt so unsure about our place in the world as a movie, as a production that I was like, I can't really step on toes. It was all precarious. It was all precarious. And now that I'm like, okay, well, we made it. Now I'm going to call you out. I'm going to call you out. I'm going to call you out. And I won't feel, I feel like I have like this, it's weird. It's like, I feel like my cast and crew is behind me, like shadow watching everything that's going on and like it's like supporting me Mm -hmm. yeah so let's get into the process of you pitching the movie yeah because it was you were doing that for a while yeah what what is that like to to really put a story that's so close to you Mm -hmm. out there to strangers asking for money it was fine (laughs) i i that's not at all the way honest answer (laughs) i like yeah we did a bunch of those like pitch market things like Tribeca, um, IF, not IFC, IFP. And then we did Sundance Catalyst. And I think I, no, I know without a doubt that I prefer Catalyst to all of them because it's easier for me for whatever, because it's acting. And I know that's why it's easier for me. It's easy for me to pitch something because it's just acting and I can act. I know that. It's easy. I like it. Theater. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like when we did Catalyst, I was standing on a stage and there was a theater full of people watching me. I was just that was easy but when I'm doing like pitch session things where you're like sitting across the table from somebody and you're just like okay do like let's me? do some small talk do and like then this? yeah I don't really like dating so it felt like dating and I don't like dating got it yeah but the, when you're standing on a stage pitching something that feels so I get like a special kind of high from that feeling so that was easy and coincidentally catalyst is where we raised all of our money so So what was your pitch how did it sound i basically just told people who i was where i was coming from and why i liked the story like i told them the truth i told them that i like stories about people who do bad things like i really love the godfather i really truly love the godfather and like i really liked breaking bad and i like stories about these characters who are absolute dicks to people around them and who screw over so many other people's lives. Mm. But I just, I'm so fascinated by them. And I told them, I want to see a black girl do that and get away with it. Not because I'm like, you know, justifying her actions, but because I want to see her justify her actions Mm. to herself. Why do you think you are fascinated by those characters? I think because when you look a certain way, like if you are a woman and you are, you know like you fit into like a standard of like conventionally attractive people or like slim people you know like if you look a certain way and you have like like your voice is kind of high and like 
people think you're friendly, then people sort of, they expect you to be really, like, they expect you to be something, even if you're not that thing. Mm. So I feel often, and I felt when I was younger, very often that because I would, like, I have, like, a very natural, like, my face, I like to smile. I smile a lot. And in a weird way, because I smile a lot and because I like to be nice to people because I just, I like people and I like being around people. It felt like people were constantly wanting me to be that way as opposed to letting me be that way and also be angry or like be that way and also be mean mm-hmm. or be that way and also just not want to talk to fucking anybody and it's just I want or I like this character because she allow or I let her be herself every time and I let her do the things that she wants to do in that moment and nobody's going to tell her otherwise and I guess I just got sick of people telling me who I was mm-hmm. and who I am people were doing that a lot yeah and I don't think it's... I think that's just something that people do. Like, I think that's a very natural human thing to not assume the best, but just sort of fit people into... an ex, Or, like, fit people into a box, almost. And I'm trying to break out of that every day, and I'm always trying to think, okay, maybe this person isn't angry. Maybe they're just, like, fucking... Maybe today they're just in a mood. I'm in moods. I'm a very moody person. Mm. People don't know that about me, except for my family and my husband. But I'm a very moody person. And now everyone listening. And now everybody listening. (laughs) But like, it's like, and my, like all my closest friends know that and they learn that and they love that about me because we love our friends or the complexity of our friends. We don't love them for one side. That's why they're our friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like to feel known and I like to feel seen and I like to feel understood, which is why I like my circle is small because I understand that a lot of people think that they know me because I am really friendly and I am really like interested in other people but they don't actually know me and they just have an expectation of who I am Mm -hmm. so I wrote Sela and I wrote this story because I just wanted to give someone a chance to be like to free themselves of other people's expectations Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) do you think you did it? yeah I do in a way that you're happy with? yeah I'm really happy with it I'm really happy with it and I also like like I watch it at the premiere and I'm like, oh, maybe we should have done that. Oh, maybe we could have done that. Oh, this could be shorter. Oh, this should be longer. Oh, we should. this should be louder. Like, and I'm, I feel like I'm always of going course. to have that feeling. Like, if I look at this movie 10 years from now, it, like, I would cut a completely different version of it. It of would course. be a totally different that's film. that's how it goes. That's just normal, yeah, right? Yeah, no, yeah no, like, that's normal. So I'm very happy with where we ended yeah. and what we have. Before you get to the end of this, mm-hmm. the false starts of getting the money and losing the money. Yeah. Um, I think that is a process not often talked about. I agree. Um, and I think people are probably interested in that because yeah. it is deeply humanizing and upsetting, a very real <laughs> part of doing this yeah. if you want to do it. What was that like for you? It was hard, but do you know a lot about Beyonce? I don't know if you're a Beyonce fan. I mean, I, I, you I know, know Beyonce. You know who she is. <laughs> I, I know. I know a decent I like, amount. I've heard about her. <laughs> well, she makes music. Or, uh, <laughs> she married to somebody. <laughs> she have a sister. I don't really know. Well, I love Beyonce, and she says in this interview that something I think it was like 2014 that I really liked and that has really helped me a lot. Where she says, you know, I'm Beyonce, and I know people think I never fail, but sometimes I fuck up, but I fail. And when I do, I give myself the entire rest of that day to just feel awful about myself. And, like, just feel really sad and really, like, down and, like, feel like everything is done and over. But then the next day when I wake up, I have to get back to being Beyonce. And I was like, oh, shit, that's dope as hell. So I kind of tried to, like, when I heard that in 2014, I think, or maybe it was 2013, I just tried to do that and it was hard because you feel like you bear your soul to people and ask them to give you money and believe in you and when they say no that's like oh my god are they saying no to me as a person as a human being and that's how it felt to me every single time not like they're saying no to the project but like they're saying no to me as a person and so rather than trying to like psych myself out of that immediately I let myself feel that like I let myself feel it and I let myself feel really sad and really bad but then the next day I had to stop like I had to just move forward so it was hard but yeah to be honest every time we got we didn't get the money and every time it felt like we failed I felt like it was because of me not because of the project something Um, about you yeah something about me and I don't have advice for that I think that just might be how I take rejection sometimes Mm -hmm. but like but I think that's fine because I I mean I figured out how to move past it well I was gonna ask was there ever a moment in the process where you thought you know Maybe it's not meant to be. No. 
the whole time you thought it was going to happen. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I knew it was going to happen. Because I was like, it's sort of like, again, I'm really hard-headed. And once I know I have to do something, I just, I got to do it. I just have to do it. I can't not do it, Mm -hmm. no matter what. Like, yeah, there's no world where this movie wouldn't have happened. It could have been a different type of movie or like a different version of it, but it was always going to happen. And I knew that, and which that also helped the rejection because I was like, okay, sure, this wasn't meant to be, but something is because this story is going to happen. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you learn about making movies on this set? Did- I'm good at it. Like, <laughs> not to like sound, you know, whatever, who cares? Sound I'm, how you want to sound. I'm a good director. I really am. I think that... Um, this is what I've been told. <laughs> I, I think a lot of the things that make my friends want to be friends with me and you know keep my family loving and supporting me are good are qualities that make my crew and my cast feel supported and respected and like they're collaborators and equals because that's how I think of people like I think one of the shocking things that I learned in this process is that is how maybe not undervalued but kind not but sort of like forgotten about below the line folks are and it was shocking to me because I was on set. I saw how much everybody did. Like, all of our jobs were hard. We all worked our asses off. All of us were exhausted. And some of us worked even harder. But because you're below the line, we'll forget about you. And that, I just don't, I'm not into that. I hate that. And I don't want my sets to ever feel hierarchical in that way. I don't want them to feel like I am the boss and you all are my minions. Because I don't think of them that way. I think of everybody as a collaborator. And I think that... Because of that, and because I was very clear about that from the start, we got a lot of great work out of people. <laughs> like We got a lot of great ideas from people. And everybody was just, again, just working in service of this story. And everybody just believed in the story and just propped it all up with all of our hands together. And it, it was stronger for it. It is stronger for it. So I think that was the biggest thing that I learned on set is that just because other sets don't work that way necessarily doesn't mean that my set doesn't have to work that way. I can create the energy that I want this project to be born from. Yeah. That's good. At the <laughs> end of the movie um, there's a title you know, there's a card that comes up and says a film by us all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I was talking to Michael Yeah, love your, Michael. Supervisor, <laughs> yeah. Who I love so much. Yeah. And I said to him He's also making movies. Yeah. And I said... And he's good. Yeah. yeah. No, I've, I've not seen it, but he's, he I'm, good. I'm excited. And um, I am making movies. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea of doing that, to say a film by us all, Yeah, I said to him, like, I don't know if I'm a good enough person <laughs> to do that. And he's like, yeah, I don't think so. Either. <laughs> about himself and about me, I think. He's making a valid judgment. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe... We have to be honest with ourselves. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's, I, I was really impressed by that. I was I was really I thought that was very genuine. Yeah, I mean it's how I feel. So like that's it's But you know that's abnormal. I didn't know that it was abnormal. <laughs> I like I mean I, I understand that I don't usually see it, but I didn't understand that it was abnormal until my crew came up to me and they were telling me how happy and grateful they were. And I, I didn't want to downplay their gratefulness, but I just I wanted to be very honest with them, like this is this is earned like this is very deserved this is that like this is i do not feel like i understand auteurism and stuff like that but the idea that everything is because of me alone is a lie it's not true we all put ourselves into this we were all there Mm -hmm. we are all a part of it and i do believe that we all deserve credit because i just it's not fun doing it alone i'd rather have a community (laughs) i would rather be a part of something with people and I think that's okay. What's something you learned about directing by the end of the shoot that you wish you knew in the beginning? That I wish I'd known in the beginning. Because this oh. is your first film. Yeah. Your crew was a little under 40 people, I think. Yeah, yeah. God, that's hard. Uh, I think that it's not something that I wish... Well, yeah, I guess it is something. I, I wish that I had known... I wish that I had... Ah, hmm. What? I don't know. I mean, it's like... Well, what's the thing you wanted to say? Well, it was like I, I like this idea about, you know, film by us all and that sort of community that I wanted on set. I assumed that that is the way that it should be and that everyone 
was used to it. But I, so I wish that I had at the very beginning communicated that it was a film by us all to everyone so that they knew that that was how I felt, so that they didn't have to wait until the end or like halfway through to realize how appreciative, not appreciative, but like, I feel like they felt it every day. And that's why we got the work that we did. But I wanted to explicitly state, you are here and you are a part of this. You are a collaborator and you are important to me. So I think that's like something that I'll take away is to just make sure that people know that going in. Because I think, I just want people to feel that. I don't know. I just want people to feel that. Yeah. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, whatever. No, I mean, you're lightly emotional about it. It's yeah, good. yeah. Oh, look at this. I know one of those people. Oh. <laughs> um, you finished the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you guys wrap shooting? Uh, we wrapped on July 25th, I think. Maybe the 26th. But then we did a day of pickups on December 20th was kind of pushing it but we got it done yeah yeah so from july to here mm-hmm. what has the process been like of getting into sundance but finishing the movie in time for the festival and and now that you're here well we originally submitted a rough cut and <laughs> a very rough cut um i think it was and we got a late deadline too uh like october 20th and then <laughs> i remember that we sent it in on a friday and then on monday they said this is great but send us another cut in a week and then we'll let you know. <laughs> and I was just like, this feels awful. <laughs> this feels terrifying and awful. And my editor and I both were like, I wish they just hadn't said anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> but then we, you know, we decided like, we're not going to think about what they expect it to be a week from now. We're just going to do what we were going to do. Uh, we're just going to keep working. And then we submitted it again and then we heard back and it was good news. Um, the process of editing was actually really fantastic because I adore my editor. We have like a really great shorthand communication style with each other. It's Kate Abernathy. She's extremely talented and she's also just like a great friend and like a fun person to be around. So that was really relaxing in a way, but it's also like it was relaxing and it was like, it felt more academic than the process of production did in a way. Um, like I was in school again and I liked that feeling and I think it's partially because of Kate's energy she's just like a very like huh that's interesting I'm gonna think about that and then she'll think about it and then she'll come back and come back with a response and I just she's so thoughtful and it makes you want to be thoughtful too so like it helped to have her around because it like again like that take a deep breath and just like be present in the moment in this room editing this movie with Kate and that was great so that process was good. Mm-hmm. You get into the festival. Yeah. Um, something that happened when they announced this year. Yeah. They have new programming. And one of the big things that they're emphasizing is making sure, you know, I think it was 50, 50% of women are filmmakers. Yeah. With films, it was just unprecedented. Yeah. And overdue and all that. But I was thinking about it in relation to you. Because earlier you were talking about back in college and high school being this... Percentage? Percentage. Yeah. And I'm wondering, do you feel any of that now, here, still in, in 2019? Um, Even though you are very different than who right, you were right, there. Right, of course. <laughs> I do, but I get it. Like, I get why it's important. It's because, it's because the percentages have been so bad that we have to keep track of the percentages. Like, I get it. But you better ask me about my work as an artist first, period. Like, don't treat me like... Don't focus on whatever percentages you're quantifying me with or as. Focus on me as a filmmaker. Focus on the story as a story first. And then I'm down to talk about anything. As long as you're doing both. You're not just, like, talking to women about women's issues. That's it. Right. And black people about black people issues. That's it. Well, it's good. We've made it 42 minutes and haven't brought it up. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So, like, as long as... And which I think like a lot of the interviews that we've been doing in the press have been doing that. And I think it's partially because the story itself is so different than what people are used to. And the way that it's presented, the story about teenagers is like, might be a a little bit Mm -hmm. different and a little, uh, not shocking, but like unexpected. Yeah. And so there's a lot of stuff to talk about before we even talk about the fact that I'm black and I'm a woman. Have people made the compare contrast thing with your white people they used to before they saw the movie (laughs) not anymore which is good because like whenever people would bring that up i would say to them it's really not dear white people at all like dear white people is very much a movie that is i mean i think it's 
I think it was written and created with white people in mind and helping white people consider black people and black issues with empathy. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think my film and this story and everything I've ever made is made for the, like, it's it's made for people who look like me, to be quite honest. And uh-huh. it's just, it, there's no short, like, there's no, I'm not going to teach you about what it feels like to be black because... There's not explanation. Yeah, there's no explanation. You're just dropped in the center of it, and if you want to catch up, you'll catch up. And if you don't, then... Are you thinking about that in the process of saying, like, you know, I'm just not interested in explaining this to people? Yes, totally. You are? Yeah. It's a conscious thing. Yeah, because I like when... I don't like watching something and feel... Like, I don't like watching something that is almost marketed like it's for me and like by people like me and about people like me and then I watch it and I'm like no no you're not talking to me because I already know what it's like to be black I know what that feels like I've lived that mm-hmm. you don't have to like sit here and like say to me this is what it is like I know what it's right. like so now I realize well, like those shows exist they exist oh my god <sighs> they exist and they're, and they're doing like, well and they're doing really well and I understand why they exist yes. and I get what they're doing I think I know which ones you're talking about yeah but they're not for me and I'm not going to make those. So that's fine. Here's what I'll say. <laughs> on, 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 without naming anything. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> um, I can. You probably shouldn't. Actually, I don't think even I can. I wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> um, but I will say, <laughs> them not being for me is not why I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. It's that they're not good. Mm, yeah, well. <laughs> that's my feeling. And I'm, we're not even saying names. We're not saying anything. But we know the ones we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, making stuff is hard. We respect no, that. No, of course. It's, it's so hard. hard. It's of so course. Hard. And also, a lot of the conversation, um, I think even we can talk about it within the movies that are, got nominated. Like the whole Bohemian oh Rhapsody Green Book thing. You know, here, here, here's, this is my theory on it. We would never talk about that movie mm-hmm. if it wasn't nominated yeah. for a Best Picture. I know. It would be a thing we made fun of. Yep. And, and we would be happy to make fun of it. And it would be gone. And it would be gone. But since we have given it attention, oh we have to God. consider it in a serious way. Yeah. And that is the difference of, of where we're at. Yeah. And that's why I think we're like scrutinizing it. It's like, I, I agree. I wouldn't make fun of the things we're not naming but <laughs> are winning awards yes um, but how does that play into your own writing are you are you do you ever this is what i really want to ask you. yeah do you ever write something and you're like no can't because of a larger ideological reason a larger reason in in your place in the world no like from the very first story about Sella, for instance she was a black girl who ran a drug ring out of her high school. So it was like, it was there. It was always there. And like, I would have investors and people say like all kinds of people who I love and respect say, Oh, you can't have a story about black kids dealing drugs because it damages the images of black people. And I would say, yeah, but what if they just want to deal drugs? Like, why can't they do that? And why, like, why can't they be that be a part of their lives? It doesn't come off. It's like, I mean, I don't know what the script was like, but, it was like it is now like it's not about that like that's not what the story is about even yeah. that's just a part of who they are it's and that's also fine. A heightened reality oh my god i know you would think that that okay. <laughs> what i'm just saying like say your thing well it was just a very was is myopic the one where you're like super short-sighted yeah. you just yeah it's like a very myopic way of thinking about the story is it myopic or myopic, myopic? Uh, it's myopic mm, like i kind of like your version myopic Myopic. myopic. It's myopic. myopic. <laughs> but it's a very myopic way of thinking about the story, focusing in on black kids, drugs. We can't do those things together in a story or else we're damaging the image of black people. It's like, nah, these kids are badass. I'm not damaging anything. There's other stuff that they're doing that, like, it's just people. Yeah. They're just doing things. People do things. Like, that's it. That's all I want to do is tell stories about people doing things. I don't want to have to think about things that I can't have black people do because they're mm-hmm. black people. I'm never going to do that. Something I thought was interesting, mm-hmm. um, I'm, you know, I'm glad we're coming up at this at 47 minutes because at this point <laughs> you've probably seen the movie I, or at least you should. Um, something early on in the film that's explicit mm-hmm. is that the protagonist is like obviously devious, yeah. cunning, um, smart, mm-hmm. wise beyond her years but yes. also you add this thing where she is like virginal. Yeah. Why was that? Was that was that an intent? Was that like something from the beginning that you thought that was a fascinating counterpoint to 
her sort of like reckless drug dealing behavior. I don't think of her as virginal. You're talking about like the the scene where they're talking about making out and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I don't. Really, I never think of her as virginal. I always think of her as asexual. Like I just think of her as like she and I, we talked about this in production too, and that's how I directed her. Where which is even more interesting. By yeah, the way. I mean that was really important to me. The the idea that a teenage girl shouldn't have to be concerned with that, and it's very like there are teenage girls. There are people everywhere who are asexual and like who can just who deserve to be able to have conversations about that without being shamed for not doing something Mm -hmm. um and so the thing that i love and have always loved about sella is that she's so focused on these other things that it's just it doesn't really come up for her so in the periphery yeah and i love that conversation between her and paloma because i think usually it would be paloma the one paloma's the one who like hasn't done anything and like doesn't really get like into relationships or whatever but Paloma's like the like Paloma's super into everybody and she like would make out with anyone if she was interested and I just love that about their characters that they're so they're able to connect without it being a big deal that they're so different in that way mm. yeah I like that yeah. it was a fascinating uh, that that was one of the big surprises for me I was like oh that's interesting yeah it's not we were talking like a movie like Clueless yeah yeah, like yeah. that movie's <laughs> Entirely preoccupied. No, of course, but love the movie's it. also entirely preoccupied with like, the whole thing. It's I all have about a boyfriend. Yeah, exactly. I also gotta go shopping. That's a lot of stuff made for teenage girls, even now. Yeah, it's so much of it is about who will I be? Who will love me? Who will want my? Who will want me? Mm-hmm. And for Stella, it's like I want me. I love me. So everybody else better get in line. Well, so tell me, what do you want for yourself now that this movie is done? Mm-hmm. It will be bought. And distributed. Yes, it will be. I'm just saying it. I am too. I have no insider information. <laughs> Me neither. We have not talked about this. Nope, we haven't. <laughs> By the time this episode airs, I hope it is bought. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, I believe it will be at some point, whenever that is. Yeah. Whenever it's supposed to be. The right home. All the same. Mm-hmm. What do you want for yourself now, now that you've made this first movie? What's the kind of story you want to tell? Um all kinds i want to like i love sci-fi i really want why are you laughing i just because i started as soon as i said i love sci-fi i was thinking about how much i want to turn or like do ender's game the right way (laughs) and like do justice to that story even though i don't want to give orson scott card any money at all Uh um so that's a really hard you gotta wait a few years i know i'm just like waiting i've got ideas but like (laughs) i um I want to do everything. Like, I write. I really want to... I'm working on a collection of, like, interconnected short stories that I want to release. Um, I want to make another multimedia project. I want to do TV. I love TV. I love series. I love... I want to adapt a book into a limited series. Like, there's all this stuff that I'm working on, and I just want to do everything. I just want to see what I like, and I can't know until I try it. Uh, You have a very uh, good temperament. Thank you. (laughs) It seems like you're... You know... There's a bunch of people in our community, mm-hmm. and there are varying degrees of anxiety around yeah. what the future looks like. Yeah. But it seems like you're fine with how it looks. I mean, I understand that, like, <laughs> I, 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 like, luck plays a factor into where I am right now. I mean, obviously, I have worked very hard to get here, and I deserve to be here, and I know that. And, like, I've worked really fucking hard. But, like... I like that you're emphasizing that. Yeah, like, really hard. But luck is Do people not think everything. you have worked hard? I don't know. I don't. If they do, then they haven't told me to my face. But I know that I'm young. I'm only 28. I'm turning 29 in March. And I understand that sometimes it takes people longer to get to where I am. And I think that that's fine. I don't think that it says anything about who is better than the other. I think it's a lot of luck. Um, but yeah, so I think part of my chill temperament about the future is that I'm here right now and I'm 28. And I get that, and I'm fine with that. But it's also just that, to be totally honest with you, I'm kind of chill. <laughs> Which kind of throws people off sometimes, because no. they're like, you should be really like excited and like really exuberant. And I'm like, yeah, but like it's cool. I'm meant to be here. I'm feeling great. <laughs> so, That's great. Yeah. Um, well, I am very uh, looking forward to see what happens next. Thank you. I'm Me sure too. it'll be good things. <laughs> um, this is a larger conversation, because I don't know when we'll release this. Yeah, sure. So I want this to exist outside of Sundance. Okay. I have a feeling this conversation won't end. No. <laughs> in, this, in this sort of... Um, the, the larger conversation about diversity right now, mm-hmm. there's a reason I haven't brought it up. It's just because I'm really not interested in having 
that same dialogue yeah, again. For sure. It's been had, and I'm sure you've talked about it already. Yeah, I have. I have <laughs> talked about it already. Yeah. What I am interested in is how you're hoping to move forward in this space mm-hmm. and not have to constantly have that on your mind. Is, it po- is that possible? Am I being naive and even asking that question? Um, I don't think you're being naive because I think the people who are asking questions, the landscape or like the diversity of those folks is changing. Those folks is changing. It's not terrible. It sounded weird. It sounded weird, but it, it's, I think it's okay. Yeah. Different kinds of people are becoming the gatekeepers, so to speak. They're becoming the ones who ask the questions of the artists and the filmmakers. And because of that, we're able to talk about different things because like we know both of us know what it's like to be otherized and neither of us is really interested in continuing that right now so i think because of that Mm -hmm. things are changing and i think it's totally possible and i also think it's because um like i said earlier because the story itself is so unusual in many ways and is told in an unusual way in a way that confuses some people and makes people feel uncomfortable there's so much other stuff that they have to get through before they can even get to like diversity questions and that was not intentional but i love it i love that that's the byproduct love it so much so you're optimistic yes i am but that's just me as a person people are rarely optimistic on your subject i'm gonna be honest with you maybe only being too optimistic they're usually a little older than you too Uh, yeah which you know that means they've had to deal with this shit for longer well i'll check in with you in five years yeah exactly (laughs) hopefully it'll be better tarisha you've done your first podcast yay Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Special thanks this week to Tyresha Poe. To learn more about her new movie, Sella and the Spades, you can do so at their website at sellaandthespades.com. To learn more about her, you can visit our show notes at www.talkeasypond.com. There on the site, you'll find other conversations we've had with directors, including Alex Ross Perry, whose new movie, Her Smell, is out, Ben Hal Baig, Paul Dano, Patrick Wang, Ama Ashante, Coleman Domingo, Vincent D'Onofrio, so many more directors uh, on the site. If you don't like using websites, you can find every episode of the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Lastly, if you would like to help us out, we are a listener-supported program. You can do so at Venmo at TalkEasyPod. You can also do so on PayPal at TalkEasyPod at gmail.com. To learn more about how and where you can donate, you can visit our site at www.talkeasypod slash donate. As always, the show is executive produced by David Chen, graphics by Ian Jones, illustrations by Krishna Shenoy, our intern is Elliot Weintraub, our booking is Ian Chang, our social media is Crystal Farmer, our music is by Dylan Peck. And finally, I'd like to welcome our new producer to the show. His name is Neil Innes. We are lucky to have him. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. We will be back uh, next Sunday with an Ebert Fest-centered episode. Uh, I'll see you then. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there.
Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 